DJ Simulationistas, sup, with Dr. D, Dan Raymer, and Dr. J, Janice Palaganis, coming at you from the Center for Medical Simulation in Boston, Massachusetts. So buckle up your mannequin, and let's roll. Welcome to DJ Simulationista Sup. You're here with Janice Pelaganis and... And Dan Raymer. What's Sup, up, Janice Pelaganis. What have you been up to? Oh, I've been doing the summer thing, uh, playing a little tennis, walking the dog a lot. What have you been up to? Teaching an IMS course for developing simulation instructors this week and it's a really great group. I'm excited to be here. It's, I think we had podcasted about this, but when you have a really when you have great energy in the course it just energizes you personally and so the, I, the, I par- that. the participants are the participants yeah. yeah you know yeah. every group has a personality and and it's always interesting to see what the team personality is going to be and it's a good one i love it so what's that got you thinking about I'm thinking back to our 20th anniversary. You might remember this. We had a fortune teller and we decided that we were going to look into the future of simulation. I believe at the time I was wearing a gorilla suit. Yes, that and, party. Uh, and so that I party. missed the fortune teller. That's why I don't remember. <laughs> And so Robert and I had this really great conversation around the future of, of simulation. And it's, I've been thinking about what is the future of simulation. And I am wondering if you and I can look into the glass ball. So, so what I'm interested in, this must, there must be a very good study. And since you seem to know all the studies that have ever been done, what's the accuracy and receiver operating curve of a crystal ball. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) (laughs) That's more your field. The sensitivity and specificity (laughs) of a crystal ball. I want to write that paper before I die. (laughs) But looking in the crystal ball, I don't think it's going to (laughs) happen. I guess I asked that question because I, I have a pretty horrible record for predicting the future. You think so? You know, the, the incident that stands in my mind, and, you know, stop me if I've told you this story before, but uh, I got to see the first pulse oximeter, you know, with a colleague saw the first commercial pulse oximeter for clinical use. And, you know, we played with it and held our breath and all of those sorts of things. And then the developer of that device, an anesthesiologist by the name of Bill New, uh, left the room and my colleague asked me what I thought of it. And I gave the thumbs down signal. Oh, wow. Wait, wait. I I do remember this because I'm going to throw in something else. So go ahead. So I argued that we put everyone on oxygen, and so why would pulse oximetry be um, useful? Oh, wow, that is such a key reading these days. Yeah, so so I kind of have missed the boat a couple of times. Literally, wait wait a minute, here's where I'm throwing it in. Literally missed the boat, because as I understand, Dan Raymer, you were almost part of the Boston Duck Tours. That's true. (laughs) 
that same colleague, uh, Jim Phillip, he was an active investor, and he was really wonderful to work with and a great friend. And he he came to me, he happened to be reading the prospectus for this new investment, uh, and he said, uh, Dan, I've got this new investment that I think I'm going to invest in. Uh, do you want to go in on it? And and I said, oh, oh, Jim, you know, I don't really have any money to invest. And he said, he said, you don't have to put in the whole thing. I'll, I'll I'll spot you half of it, and you know you can put in the other half, and you don't have to buy a whole share. And you know it's it's. I said, well, what is it? He said, it's duck boats. Uh, <laughs> this company is gonna you know come to Boston and run tours in duck boats. And I happened to know what they were because when I was growing up in Wisconsin, there uh, has long been this attraction called the Wisconsin Dells, and they had these amphibious military vehicles that both went on the land and in the water. And uh, I went there as a kid, and in fact, I built a plastic model of a duck boat once. And so I was aghast, and I said, Jim, they're like ancient. They're from World War II. They're just, that'll never fly in Boston, and like, who's going to ride on a duck boat? Well, make a long story short, the company made uh, many millions of dollars. Jim uh, made a huge amount of money from his investment, and I made nothing. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so this is cool. So if I share with you my ideas for the future, and you say, nope, nope, Jay, not going to happen, I'll know that that's where I should put my money. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so will our listeners. <laughs> All right, Dan. So so in I'm looking through the glass ball of simulation this very uh-huh. moment. And I'm going to transport you with me into okay. the future. Okay, so. I have my, <laughs> my Mylar suit on. So I feel like there are three dimensions to this glass ball. And I I know, isn't it? It's it's fascinating. I feel like there is where healthcare is going, where technology is going, and then there is where simulation is going as a field. And all of these three things tie into this overall image of the future. That seems like a reasonable model. Oh, no, that means my model sucks. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to hear your thoughts as to like where you see these three areas going because I think you have a lot of experience and and you have predicted correctly many things over the last decade that I've known you and I'll point those out as we talk. So I, I want to hear your thoughts. The thing that I see for the future is much more customization. And so when you think about where healthcare is going, treatments being much more customized, the gene therapies and the biological therapies, the acknowledgement that people's biology is different and certain treatments work for some people really, really well and don't work at all for other people. Some of the cancer treatments are now being, you know, customized. The, the, those are, you know, a great example of how the kind of tide is turning for, you know, penicillin kills all bad things to very specific 
specifically targeted biologicals attacking, um, you know, the 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 bad things that cause disease. So I think that's that's happening. You know, surgically things are being customized. Uh, some of the orthopedic implants are being customized and you know built on on demand. Three D printing is playing playing a role, and so people are customizing. I think simulation as well. I'm working uh, with a colleague on a paper right now where. She studied the experience of trainees in, in her, it's two papers actually, one in anesthesiology, one in medicine, which looked at what crisis experience those trainees have had in their training and which ones they've never seen and which ones they've seen only in simulation. And so the upshot of that is that there are lots of gaps in in people's experience, in their educational experience, and those will be filled in the future with simulation, but customized simulation. So, you know, people will come to educational, all educational enterprises looking for very specific learning needs. You know, the day's gone where you study everything known about medicine or nursing or whatever. It's become very specialized. You can look things up on the internet. You don't need to know about every possible condition and every kind of zebra that's out there. You can look a lot of them up. And so I think customizing people's learning for their particular needs at the moment is the future. And so I think, you know, you know, simulation products and programs and educational initiatives will become more and more targeted. Yeah, and I think it's going to be customized based on the trends of both healthcare and then customized according to the technology that will emerge. Where healthcare is going, for example, I, I think that telemedicine is going to be something really huge because, you know, with healthcare, moving things to home care and community-based care is definitely a, a, a need customized to what we're now finding in, in healthcare and resources and, and, you know, just the trends of healthcare. And so all of the technology around telemedicine will become a big thing and it already is becoming a big thing and I think we'll be doing a lot more simulation with telemedicine. It's such a natural uh, progression. You would think that practicing medicine in a different venue like telemedicine, it'd be just perfect for simulation mm-hmm. and, and fairly easy to, uh, to implement. Yeah. The other thing I think where healthcare is going, I'm hoping that healthcare will go a little bit in reverse. So go back to history, because I think back to when I worked trauma and we used to debrief every single trauma case that came in. And, um, and we used to do that with live video footage. So we would actually use the video of real trauma patients and the trauma team would sit and debrief. And it's amazing, just like in, you know, our world of simulation, when you play the video, what you don't realize until you watch the video, um, what you don't realize about yourself. And the reason we stopped doing it was because of HIPAA, so the patient privacy law. And I'm hoping that through the value of 
outcomes of simulation, that that will challenge some of the laws that we have and find creative ways to still protect patient privacy um, and debrief real cases because you can't get more real than real cases. And to be able to kind of use our, take our debriefing skills to real clinical cases, which, which is amazing because I think back to all of the debriefings we had for Sentinel events in, in the hospital setting. And I feel like what we're learning in healthcare simulation in our debriefing, the advances we're making in debriefing with human factors and convert difficult conversations, we are advancing that field of de, you know, clinical debriefings. And to me, more so than, than some of the training that exists out there. And so I see that, I would see that um, our trained debriefers here in the simulation center are probably more trained than some of the debrief, the people that do the Sentinel case debriefings or, you know, crisis management in the hospital setting. I agree with you. For simulation to succeed as an entity, it is going to necessarily merge with clinical care because the financial issue of healthcare becoming increasingly expensive, you know, a larger part of every nation's gross national product is a dilemma. And so there's lots of pressure to, you know, trim budgets. Simulation standing on its own is quite vulnerable. But as simulation becomes part of clinical care, both technically, you know, we need to do simulation of this patient's uh, anatomy in order to complete the operation we're planning and make it more efficient to, you know, we really need to debrief and use real clinical exercises sort of as simulations. I think those are some of the ways that the two entities will come together. And I'm really excited to see where the technology goes, because I feel like every year when we're in the exhibit hall for the international meeting for simulation healthcare, it, the simulators are changing, I mean, in really great ways. And seeing the simulators and what's available now to make your simulated environments more real, awesome. Yeah, I I, uh, I don't share your enthusiasm. <laughs> I have to say, uh, I I've long been disappointed with the rate of development of the technology, and I know we've spoken about this before. But I I I think that what I see is quite incremental and more of the same. Really? I, I'm, yeah, I'm really kind of waiting for some big breakthroughs. Yeah. If I if I knew what they were, I would have a bright future in my uh, uh, remaining years. But uh, I don't know exactly what the what the big change will be. Mm. But I again, I think somehow making simulators much more customizable, like that's you know, like, like your word of the day, customizable. Yeah. yeah well. You know, it's always bothered me that simulators look like department store mannequins. They're just perfect. Uh, and they're healthy looking and they're big and strong and uh, sleek. Like, why can't the simulators look like 
each and every patient that you see. Making that happen would be such a big breakthrough. Well, I feel like definitely over the last three years, I have seen a steepened curve in terms of progress for technology. I I feel like there was a real nice lull for a good like eight years. Like it seemed the same to me every every year. And just the last few years, it's every year there's something, oh, that's kind of cool. I didn't even know that existed. And and I think I, I like what you're saying because I think we're heading in the direction, you know, where technology is going in in terms of the glass ball, in terms of augmented reality. So we're hearing more about flexible screens and the skins becoming screens where you can act, you can put you know wounds and rashes and and that sort of thing augmented reality with glasses overlaying rashes on the patient through the wearing of wearable technology there's so many things that are up and coming in terms of where technology is going. And I'm looking at your face right now and you just seem so skeptical. And I know now where I am going to put my money. So, so (laughs) yeah, yeah, probably. I just am having trouble imagining my, you know, surgical teams that I've been doing simulations with wearing glasses wearing 3D glasses. Uh, Oh, no, no, not the virtual reality. Augmented reality. So augmented reality are the clear glasses that have, you can overlay on top of real environments. So if you imagine putting clear, a pair of clear glasses on, you would be able to see a frame and a picture on the wall that wasn't previously there. And as you turn around, it's almost like it, it lives on that wall. The virtual reality glasses are more in like 3D environments. Well, you know, you could be right and augmented reality could really be that magical step forward. I'm still not holding my breath that the technology is going to leap ahead. Somebody will think of something. You know what's really funny? uh, The one, the augmented reality glasses that I follow is called Magic Leap, and you've just used those two words. (laughs) Well, don't put all your money in it, Janice. I don't know. I don't know. Based based on my opinion, you should probably... It's a sign. It's a sign of gold. Thank you, You should probably invest something. So, so I also think that where simulation is going as a field is going to contribute. So I feel like there is more and more activity around interprofessional education, and which is great because I think simulation is a natural hub. Simulation centers are a natural hub for interprofessional education. And the more and more we bring in other professions and educators from other professions, we're learning new methods of teaching. One example is reflecting teams. So I've used the method of reflecting teams for debriefing, which comes from marriage and family therapy. And essentially, they um, turn off the light in the case. So you have the learners go into the case, you turn off the light, you turn on the light for the debriefing room, and the debriefing room discusses the impact, how they would feel if they were the patient or the family. Then they turn the lights back on to the other room, the case room, and they can take 
or leave the comments that their colleagues had in the debriefing room and you kind of go back and forth and then you have a nice yeah. big debriefing at the end. I would have never learned that had I never involved marriage and family therapy into our simulation sessions. And I think the more we bring in different professions, we're going to learn different perspectives and different methods of teaching. I agree with you. I think the kind of human side of medicine will necessarily have to advance um, we had a dinner guest last night and she was telling us that her husband has been very ill and he had uh, kidney stones and infections and so on. They had a terrible experience with a urologist who had, uh, as she described it, uh, one of the worst bedside manners ever. Her husband was readmitted to the hospital and she said to this very nice urologist who saw them, uh, whatever happens, we don't want that guy we had last time. And she said he kind of had this little smile on his face that, you know, uh, it wasn't the first time he'd heard that. You just have to think that the tolerance for for unskilled human communication is, uh, you know, is wearing thin. And, yeah. uh, you know, she said she looked up online, this guy, to see if there were, ratings. you know, what he was rated. <laughs> and she said she couldn't believe how many low ratings he had had. Well, the interesting thing, taking it a step further, is the communication between the two practitioners as well. Yeah. I mean, clearly the people that work with him know this. Right. And nobody's having it, or maybe they have had a conversation, I can't well, assume. But it's difficult to have those conversations, and we need to yeah. learn how how to give feedback. Yeah, and and so, yeah. So I, I just think that, that, you know, having all of those tools and being aware of the impact of that, you know, her comment was... Uh, I suppose in the old days, uh, surgeons like that could get away with it, but you know I'm not going back to him, mm-hmm. and and so I I'm it just made me think that times are certainly a change, and those kinds of skills are going to be um, highly respected and important to be successful in healthcare. I hope somebody, one of our listeners, will take the lead on you know, much of what we're saying here and push our field forward. There's there's one thing that I've just been really impressed with, which is the philosophy of Lockheed Martin. I, I know, I think I've told you this before, Dan. For example, they were building an aircraft probably now about 30 years ago um, that wouldn't be ready, given technology, wouldn't be ready for another 15 years. And what they did was they hired an entire team, including an educator that would be putting together the guides, the teaching guides and the the tutorials and the teaching for the pilots 15 years later. So what this educator did, who has a PhD, he went and studied, he actually went to kindergarten and studied how these kindergartners were learning and worked with them in their trajectory longitudinally and trying to predict where technology was going. And he predicted iPads and phones and mobile data. And 
essentially created what these kids would learning to meet the needs of these kids in the way they've learned over the last 15 years. And I, I think we need to be able to do that because our, the, the generations that are coming up that are going to be doctors and nurses, they are socialized in a very different way. And our patients are going to be socialized in a very different way. And um, we need to figure out how best to train them. That sounds like the crystal ball study. Oh, wait a minute. You seem too enthusiastic about that. And and I'm enthusiastic about it. Do I need to like dip down there? Not invest there? Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't look to me for investment (laughs) advice. That's just a bad idea. No, I would um, really love to see that happen. Well, that's very cool because it is fun to look in the future and think about what it's going to be like. And it's also fun to think about how difficult it is to predict the, predict the future. Yeah. So many things we think are going to happen and don't quite happen the way we anticipate. And Oh, no. <laughs> Our crystal ball is foggy because I'm being called to go teach right now. Okay, well, it was nice talking to you, and uh, I'll keep looking in the crystal ball, see if I see anything interesting. Please do, take notes. Okay. Bye, Dan. Bye. DJ Simulationistas, what's up? Is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more about CMS and learn about our simulation instructor training and course offerings at www.harvardmedsim.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.